when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. We've done the history of everything on this podcast. In fact, we have done the history of everything, the history of this planet, of the human journey on this planet. We've done the history of micro-history, too. We've done the history of tobacco and coffee. We've done the history of the First World War, the Thirty Years' War, the Great Pandemics, the Black Death. We told the story of the great vaccinologists who've probably saved more lives than anyone else on planet Earth. But one thing we've never done is the history of birdwatching. And luckily, folks, today we are writing that historic wrong. This is your place for the history of ornithology. Twitchers, any Twitchers out there, get ready. Because we're talking about not the whole history of birdwatching, but just one rather beautiful moment, one wartime moment of birdwatching that led to some important post-war conservation work. This is about four prisoners of war, four British prisoners of war. Edward John Morby Buxton, Peter John Conder, John Henry Barrett and George Waterson. They overcame terrible conditions, health challenges, lack of food, humiliations in prisoner of war camps through the medium of birdwatching. They decided they would overcome all of the above, plus a good dose of boredom, by looking beyond the wire at these birds that roamed free across the landscape. They made detailed studies of these birds, they got published in ornithological journals, and three of them in particular went on to become key figures in Britain's 20th century budding conservation movement. It is rather a beautiful story, this. And coming back on the podcast to tell me all about it is Derek Neiman. He worked at the RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. He worked there for many years. He taught creative writing at Cambridge and he writes and edits natural history in particular. He talks a lot about the positive therapy offered by birds and the observation of birds in the midst of terrible physical and emotional trauma. My grandparents are both bird watchers and they were much happier for it. It's a great failure of mine that I couldn't tell you a robin redbreast from a blue tit. But this podcast has inspired me to change my ways. I'm going to go and start respecting the birds. Here's my conversation with Derek Neiman. Enjoy. Never to go to war with one another again. And the shuttle has cleared the tower. Derek, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It's lovely to be here again. 
I love this story because my grandma always told me the importance of bird watching, and little did I know it can actually help you survive the Second World War. Tell me about being taken prisoner in the Second World War. What was it like in the camps? Because sometimes I think it would have been preferable to being on the battlefield for prolonged periods of time. It brought its own costs and challenges. It did. I mean, some research showed that the young men who went to France and other parts of the world expected they would be killed, they would be wounded, or they would survive okay. Nobody expected to be taken prisoner. So they were captured, and this was a disorienting experience. And for the men who went into the, the camps, and for the most part, they were just pretty rough, really. You're surrounded by barbed wire. You've got communal toilets that tend to leak all over the camp. You know, the conditions are pretty rough, but you're not going to be killed, except that if you're an officer, you believe that when things start to go wrong for the Germans, you will be shot. And if you're an officer, and all these bird watchers that I wrote about were officers, you have no work to do. So you can spend all day, every day, feeling humiliated at being captured, at not being able to do anything, at being divided from your friends and family, and feeling this sense of pointlessness. And to what extent... We lionise, we eulogise those who sort of tried to escape or did manage to escape. Was escaping a big part of most of their lives? Was it a very select few that ever engaged in those kind of activities or was it quite widespread? No, it was a select few. I think a fair number of prisoners would help other prisoners and some of the bird watchers did. Here's an amazing thing. Some of the bird watchers acted as lookouts. So they would walk around the camp and the Germans would think, yeah, those, there's those lunatic Brits looking at birds. What a stupid thing to do. And they would watch for when the guards came on duty and when the gates opened. And of course they would make notes. And the Germans would just think, oh, they're just recording their birds. And not one of those bird watchers was ever checked. So they were the perfect spies, a spy within a camp. Nobody suspected a thing. Yeah, so tell me about these bird watchers that you've identified. Well, I focused on four in particular, and those were four bird watchers who, three of them were lifelong birders. They'd gone to school, they joined their bird watching clubs. Two of them were doing it on a voluntary basis. And then there was another man who took up bird watching relatively late in life, about 18. And they were, they were passionate bird watchers. So when they arrived in one camp together, Warburg, they discovered that they had fellow bird watchers. They had people who had the same interests as them. And they, they pretty well bonded together. The four of them bonded. They were only together for 11 months in that one camp. But they remained friends for the rest of their lives, the four of them. That was a very much a bonding experience. And it gave them something to do. It, it gave them a, a sense of self-respect again, because they believed that they were recording birds for a purpose. 
this was the beginning of modern ornithology. This was the beginning of proper monitoring of birds. And after the war was over, they sent their reports to established ornithological journals. Now, those journals would have looked at those reports and thought they have no scientific credibility. But there was a kind of compassion and honor in publishing those. Because otherwise, the men really would have wasted four or five years of their lives. And it was a great thing to have these scientifically spurious reports published. I mean, they were nonsense, really. They did. If the Germans decided that you couldn't watch birds one day, then you were confined to barracks and that was it. You would rely on, on fellow inmates who some of them weren't terribly good at spotting birds. So some of those records were a bit ropey, but you were doing something systematically in the belief that you were doing something worthwhile. And it didn't matter if you were standing on a piece of clay, sodden ground with urine washing through from the latrines. They felt like they were doing something together and something that had some kind of conclusion that was meaningful to them. And they were enjoying it. Sometimes it's a bit tedious. If you're sitting in front of a goldfinch nest for 60 consecutive days, it gets a bit tedious. But they all said that it was the thing that kept them sane. And the people who joined them said that was the thing that kept me going. And you point out that they survived extraordinary ill health, freezing cold, malnourishment. Didn't one of them have cholera and dysentery? They did in the Far East, and in conditions that were much, much worse, you had bird watchers who survived Japanese prisoner of war camps by watching birds, by watching butterflies. It was something that did sustain them. And yeah, you know, sometimes it, it was pretty horrible. In the first months of captivity in 1940, they were effectively being starved because in one camp, the German cook was selling rations in town instead of giving it to them. Some of the guards were old soldiers from the First World War, and some of them didn't think too highly of having to look after these men, so some of them didn't treat them well. Later on, they did, and some of the guards even took part, which is incredible. You know, can I help you? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, just stand there and camp this bird. You listen to Dan Snow's History, talking about birdwatching in the war. More coming up. On Gone Medieval from History Hit, we're here to spoil you with the biggest names. Chinggis Khan, the thing that really galvanised his wars of conquest was his belief that he had been given a mandate to have dominion over the entire planet. We explore new archaeological finds. After the Viking Age, lots of medieval artefacts coming out of the site as well. And delve into the lives of those you might never have heard of. He's not a bad and evil king like King John. I'm Dr Kat Jarman. And I'm Matt Lewis. From surviving everyday life in the Middle Ages to dynasty-shattering events. Gone Medieval is the place to quench your thirst for history. Subscribe now to Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a wonderful example of how, as I get older, I realize that living with passion is everything. It doesn't really matter what you take an interest in. And I try and get my kids to explain that while I'm dragging them around all these castles and historic sites, it's not because I'm particularly obsessed with lots of old bits of rocks down top of each other, but it's because it gives your day purpose. It gives you a spine. You can travel from A to B, not just aimlessly, but to go and look at these five castles, whatever it might be. Your story really resonates with me. It would have given them, you can see how that ripple effect would almost change the communities that they were part of. Exactly. And some of the people who were helping them, they weren't remotely interested in boats. And after the war, they weren't remotely interested in boats. But as you say, they were buoyed up by passion. And the passion that the bird watchers showed, it was infectious. And they thought, yeah, I'll give Peter and John a hand here because they really appreciate what I'm doing. And I just love the the excitement that they generate that feeds my dull, tedious life in this camp, looking at the same barbed wire fence all day, every day. So yeah, passion is everything. Absolutely agree. When they luckily weren't shot and they returned home, actually their wartime bird watching sort of mattered. It changed the rest of their lives. I think in some respects, it was a question of motivation because having been motivated to take part in bird watching over a sustained length period of time under trying circumstances, they wanted to carry on doing this 
They wanted to spend the rest of their lives watching wildlife and also teaching others about wildlife. I'll pick one individual, John Barrett, who knew nothing about the seashore. And he went to a field studies centre in South Wales, knowing pretty well zilch about the seashore. And he taught himself everything he could possibly know to the point where he was co-author of the Collins Guide to the Seashore. And the so-called expert, who was the lead author, did nothing. He just put his name to it. And it was Barrett who taught himself. And they were all driven. They believed in what they were doing. And they created organizations, or in the case of Peter Conda, he took over the RSPB, a pretty small ramshackle organization when he took over. And his passion meant that people I spoke to who worked for him said he was the most inspiring person they ever met because he believed in it. He believed in ornithology. He believed in conservation and he transmitted that passion to other people and inspired them to outperform themselves. I mean, it was quite incredible. It's quite incredible. Do you think that the appalling things that they'd witnessed pushed them to understand that what truly mattered in, on this planet is trying to limit the damage us humans are doing to it and our fellow species and our, our environment? I think there's very much an element of that. They understood what was important. And yes, they had seen dreadful, dreadful things. I spoke to one man who was at an airport with one of them, Peter Conda, and well, actually there were two old POWs there. And one of them had cut himself. And the other said, well, you don't want that to go too deep. And he said, no, I don't, but I've seen that kind of injury before. You know, they'd seen somebody split open and it must give a different perspective. And Waterston, millions of people have experienced his legacy. Tell me about what he did when he came back. Well, he was a great charmer. He could persuade anyone to do anything. So he was a co-founder of the Scottish Wildlife Trust. He was the RSPB's first employee. He was part-time, but he probably did about 60 hours a week. And he set up a bird-watching spot at Loch Garten on Speyside. Something like three million people have watched ospreys on that site. And it was all down to George Waterston. He created nature reserves in Scotland. He did all sorts. He was Mr. Conservation in Scotland for decades. He set up an observatory on Fair Isle between Orkney and Shetland. He did everything. He was an absolute human dynamo. And so it was quite the network. Another one went on to become a university professor. Yeah, although curiously enough, John Buxton was, he was a disappointed man. He'd done a degree at Oxford. He had the qualifications to be an academic. He actually really regretted not going into conservation. He became a, not an average lecturer in English, but yet another lecturer in English. And his real passion was nature. 
And so he ended up quite a disappointed man. The others became professional and he didn't. And he watched them rise and thought, it could have been me. We now we think that in healing trauma, green spaces, animals are, are essential. They were working this out as they went along. They were. And Frank Gardner has, has commented on this, that people in conflict zones will look to birdwatching. Quite often, birdwatching is a distraction activity and it just calms people down. It just takes them away from where they are. Maybe in some respects, it takes them back to, to their childhood or to home, to doing the things that gave them this calm, this pleasure. And what could be more wonderful than watching a beautiful, colourful bird flying and flitting out beyond the barbed wire? They can go where they want. They're not involved in trying to kill people. They're just living. Every veteran on the first day of the Somme in subsequent interviews always commented on the guns falling silent and the sounds of the skylarks and the birds on the battlefield. And, and also I've read books about Verdun that said they couldn't believe you could soldiers could watch birds. How could birds survive in that storm of steel? And yet they're fascinating, aren't they, for the men curled up in trenches and shell holes below them. Oh, absolutely. And there's one famous story of where one of the commanders stopped fire to allow a covey of partridges to walk through no man's land. <laughs> and I also like the fact in Heligoland, the largest non-nuclear explosion in history or something, when the British blew up a portion of the island of Heligoland in the North Sea after the Second World War. And there's a small explosion first to scare all the seabirds away, and then they fired the gigantic charge. And I've always thought that's very British. Of course, yes, yes. They're very polite. <laughs> very polite. How did you come across this remarkable story? I knew of it. I knew of a couple of these guys and I knew the story. And then Peter Conda's daughter asked me to write up her father's story because she'd been transcribing her father's diaries. And she thought, gosh, you know, dad never told me any of this. And it's not been written in full. The little snippets in various books and publications. So I drew together the four main characters. And I spoke to their families, their former colleagues and friends. I spoke to about half a dozen POWs who were still alive. And they were very, very keen to have their story told. And so when we had a book launch, I felt like an imposter because all the families were there and this was their father or their grandfather's moment. This was the point where it was brought into the public domain that their war wasn't wasted in the end, and it was being recognised. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast, Derek. That was great. How can people find out more about this? Well, you could try reading my book. It's called Birds in a Cage. It's available from all good and bad bookshops. <laughs> Derek Neiman, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Dan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.